So we're going to be in the book of Acts. If the book of Acts is in the New Testament, it's after the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the book of Acts. Um, you, some of you may be in a relationship, and uh, some of you may have been in a relationship. Some of you may have been in a, may be or have been in a long-distance relationship. And uh, no, no really, like, couple that really likes each other ever says, let's do long distance. It'll be better <laughs> than being together, right? Like, if, if, if someone tells you, let's do long distance, it'll be better than living in the same town, then they probably just aren't, like, super into you. Um, and, like, you should just recognize that. I, I, like, I never tell my children when I'm leaving for a trip, like, it's okay, girls, it'll be better that we're apart, you know? Um, <laughs> That may be the case for them. Like they, they may, their lives may be just, you know, uh, observably better that I'm not there. Um, but I, but no, I say no. Being being apart is hard. It sucks. Like it's going to be okay. Um, well, there was this one time that Jesus was with his disciples, with his like his closest friends, and he actually told them, "One day I'm going to go away, and I'm not going to be here anymore, and it's going to be for your advantage. Like it's going to be better for you that I'm not here." And, um, and he even tells them, when I'm gone, you're going to do greater things than I ever did. Which is pretty amazing if you know anything about Jesus, because he like fed thousands of people, uh, he healed the sick, and he raised the dead. Like People that were dead in their grave, he raised them to life. And how could it possibly be the case that for Jesus to leave, it would be better than if Jesus was here with us tonight? Um, and this text tells us why. We're in Acts chapter 2. Um, it's, it's the account of Pentecost, which you may have heard before. Um, but I think that we owe our attention to this, this passage because we look around, whether you're here and you're a Christian or not, and you say, these people believe um, in someone who is not here, who said it would be better if he went away. And this is why. We're going to read Acts 2, 1 through 13, and then we're going to skip to verse 36. So uh, listen, this is the word of the living God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now this is Jesus' disciples, just a small handful of people that had followed him. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. And then we're going to skip down. So basically all these people come together together. They're hearing that these people speak in their own language. And this guy, Peter, who's sort of like the, the, the main, like the sort of the spokesman for all Jesus' followers, he stands up and he preaches a sermon, kind of like we're doing right now. And this is what he says at the end of his sermon in verse 36. 
Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Uh, This is the word of the living God. So I'm going to pray quickly and ask for God to bless our time together. Uh, Father, thank you so much for your word. It's been read, and that is just plenty for you to do your work in us, in our hearts, in our minds, to change us, to to save us um, by the word um, of your gospel. And Lord, we're here tonight, and we come from a lot of different places. Some of us are distracted. Some of us are, are sad. Some of us are lonely. Some of us are overwhelmed. Some of us are happy to be here. And Lord, we know that you know each of us, and you know how to speak to each of us through your word. And so I ask that you would send your spirit, that he would fill us, that we would hear your word, and that we would love you in response. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus said it was better for him to go. And the reason why is because when he left, the last week if you weren't here, we talked about Jesus ascending into heaven. Um, when he left, he sent a full-scale invasion, you could say, of heaven onto the earth. God the Son ascended into heaven, and God the Holy Spirit burst in on the earth. And that was such a key and pivotal and an important moment in history that nothing literally has ever been the same since then. And the effects of what happened at Pentecost in this passage are still being felt even in this room tonight. And to understand it all, we need to understand first what these weird tongues are about. Okay, there's like fire tongues and there's talking tongues. Um, and we need to understand this message that, that Peter has. And so the tongue, even if you're here and you're not a, a Christian person, you're trying to figure this out, you've probably heard of this passage where people were talking in different languages and little fire was above their head. So let's talk about the fire first. Jesus had just ascended into heaven and he told them, hey, stay here. And you're going to, his followers, and you're going to receive this power um, when the Holy Spirit comes. And they're sitting in this room, unsure what to do. They're not sure what's going to happen next. And a huge sound like a mighty rushing wind blows into the room. And these tiny little bits of fire come into the room and they rest above each one of them. And what is that all about? Well, in the Old Testament, God, when God would show up in his presence. Now, God is everywhere. He's invisible. But there were times where he would manifest his presence and say, I'm going to be in this place in a very visible way. And he would do that most often through a cloud or through a fire. And last week we saw the, the cloud. But um, when God would manifest his presence, it was very important and powerful, and God's people would be drawn to it. There was a building called the temple, and God's presence was actually there. When you wanted to go worship, you had to show up at this temple. And then when Jesus came, we know that God came in his presence as a human being. He became a human and he walked around. And what what God is showing us by sending these tongues of fire onto these people is this. He's saying, I used to dwell in a temple, and then I came in my son to be with you. But now what I'm doing is by my Holy Spirit, I'm coming and I'm going to live inside of my people. 
that I'm going to make my presence known in actual individuals in time and in space. God's presence is manifested here in these people. He is in them in a special way. God is near. Because I don't know if you, if you know this, but if you read the Bible from beginning to end, one thing is very clear, and it's that, that, that God loves to be with his people. He wants to be with his people. His dwelling place is with human beings. So believers, if you're here and you, and you know Jesus, you are in one sense in heaven with Jesus, and also Jesus by his spirit is in you tonight. I understand I'm not going to feel that way to you tonight, but God himself lives in you. And that definitively answers at least one question, which is, does God want to be with me or not? God has shown us definitively from this passage, yes, he wants to come and live and dwell with you. Um, I love Gatorade commercials um, (laughs) because they're real gross looking, you know, like like Cam Newton, who I love, and... um, is the love of my life uh, after my wife. Um, because he, he won my beloved Auburn Tigers a national championship, even though he did not win your beloved Carolina Panthers a Super Bowl. I'm sorry. Uh, it's too soon. Um, in that commercial when Cam is like doing, you know, it's always working out alone, you know, like super solitary. And he's doing all those push-ups and everything. Um, he, it's, it's real gross because like he doesn't just like drink the Gator. Like he drinks it so much that it's splashing onto him and like going up. And then it has that weird thing where it's like he's sweating it out and it's like on, a, on his head. Um, and then it's always like they can't just put the Gatorade down. It's like they have to get back to working out so until they slam the Gatorade and it splashes, it splashes out. But the Gatorade uh, motto, I think it still is, is, is it in you, right? Um, like for Cam to study the Gatorade, to stand a, a, apart from the Gatorade and like take a good look at it and, and, and read the, the label about, ooh, electrolytes, that sounds good. I could really use that right now because I'm so obviously dehydrated from my intense workout by myself. Um, <laughs> it does nothing for him outside of him. It's only if it's in you, right, that it can do anything for him. And a lot of y'all, and that's a silly example, but many of y'all um, have been studying Jesus. Like you've been around Jesus, And there are things that you appreciate about Jesus or the Christian tradition or the church, like you like the ethics, you know, it makes sense of the world, or you like the community. These people here are nice and they're vulnerable to talk about their family like, like Miller was um, so gracefully. But you've been unwilling to come to Jesus, um, and he can do you no good unless he actually comes to dwell inside of you, unless he is in you. He, he really is, is meaningless to you. And my question for you is, If that's you and you've been sort of studying Jesus from the outside, what is it that's keeping you from coming to him and saying, Lord, would you do this thing that you say you do, which is you come and you live with your people? Because God's spirit indwells every person that's that's a Christian person. Every believer, God's spirit comes to live inside of them. But in the book of Acts, there are these special fillings where the Holy Spirit will come and he will fill people in a special way. And he's doing these big acts, like the book of Acts is called the Acts of the Apostles, but it really should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because he would come and he would fill people, and what he was doing is he was building his church. He's taking this message from being a local, sort of provincial, small sect of Judaism that was around Jesus, and radiating that message and that movement out to the world to, to where it actually is with us tonight in Boone, North Carolina, in parts of the world that people in the ancient Near East had no idea even existed. And the Holy Spirit would fill his people um, for, the, for that work. And often what would happen is there would be this sign that would go with it. 
And that sign was often speaking in other tongues. So the first tongues of fire is showing that God comes to dwell with his people. But the speaking in other tongues is probably the one that you're more interested in. Um, And so this is what's going on. All these Jewish people are in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And what Pentecost was, was it was 50 days after the Passover. They would all come in for the Passover. It was a big deal. God saved them from Egypt. And 50 days later, they would come back for another festival. And so there's all these, all these Jewish people from the surrounding region, some from super far away. And of course, they speak different languages. They have the same religious you know, background, but they speak different languages. They have different food. They have different cultural norms and cultural customs. And suddenly what is happening as they walk around is they're hearing these people proclaiming, hey, God is at work. God is doing amazing things. God is here to save you. Can you believe what God did in Jesus? And they're hearing it in their own language of the whatever random place that they came from. I mean, all the places that they, that they listed, Egypt, Pamphylia, uh, you know, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, all these people are coming, and they're not hearing these people talk in this like strange language that they don't understand. On the contrary, the whole point is they're hearing them speak in their language, like the place that they are from. And Jesus is at work overcoming barriers in the world like language and culture. And the reason why is because the good news of Jesus is absolutely transcultural. It is not bound by culture at all. Um, the gospel doesn't just pop up in places where the, cultural, where the culture is, um, uh, is right for it, but the gospel goes everywhere. And by God's grace, he allows people to identify at a much deeper and more fundamental level than culture or race or language. And honestly, this is why white nationalists and white supremacists, um, anyone really that, that believes in separating people by race and culture, are inherently anti-gospel, even though many of those people may call themselves Christians. Uh, a lot of white supremacists um, advocate for Christianity. And they say, you know, when, we, when the race war comes and, and, and we're able to purge, I mean, this is th- their words, we will, we will set in um, a Christian system. Because in their mind, Christianity is part of their European heritage, right? And um, <clears throat> it, it, that they mythologize as being this uh, superior, pure moment in history. But Christianity did not be- didn't begin in Europe. It's not a European faith. Um, It began in the Middle East, and the person that is surrounded by, and the person that we hold as being God in the flesh, the one that we lay down everything and follow, is a brown-skinned Middle Eastern man. And from the very beginning, the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus was marked by a radical unity of different kinds of people from the very beginning. One of the one of the most fundamental things that happened at the very beginning of the gospel going out was that people that had previously lived apart from each other said, now in Christ, those walls have come down. A woman named Michelle Higgins, um, who is a worship director and activist up in St. Louis, uh, she wrote something in Relevant Magazine yesterday that I appreciate. It was really challenging. But she said this. She said, Jesus chose to be perfected for, for eternity in the form of one of his own creations. What will the saints who worship white Jesus do when they see a brown-skinned Savior lifted up above creation? It's a good question for us, because 
What's happening in this passage is God is showing that there are going to be no longer be any barriers between people. Because in the Garden of Eden, when the world was made, before things went terribly wrong, human beings lived together before God in perfect mutual respect and dignity without any barrier of shame. Just hard to imagine, even the person sitting next to you. And at Pentecost, what's happening is we're getting a glimpse of our brokenness being healed. Where people are no longer divided by language, but they're hearing God's mighty acts in their own language. And that's why people thought they were drunk. Did you catch that? They're like, people were like, oh, they're filled with new wine. They're just drunk. And he's like, Peter's like, not. Nah, it's nine in the morning. Um, uh, because heaven is breaking in, and we have no idea what to do when heaven breaks in to our situation. It is overwhelming to us. And if the same spirit dwells in you tonight, it looks like we have a lot of work to do. Um, are you willing to be misunderstood? for this gospel based on the people that you are willing to identify and associate with. And it's the question for us here. We looked at the tongues. Okay, God's coming. His presence is here. Um, the gospel's going out regardless of language and, and culture. But why did God do this at all? And the, que- the answer is because God has a message. And it's a message that each of us needs to hear tonight. Because um, let me take a shot at, some, at, at like, just trying to get an idea of some of the people that are in the room. I don't know all of you, obviously, um, but I would love to. Some of you are here and you're exploring uh, God. You're like, maybe there's something to this. I'll check it out. Some of you are here because it's what you did growing up. That's probably a lot of you. Uh, And you want to kind of keep it going. You know, I did the Christian thing, the church thing, and that's safe for me, and I want to keep doing that. But already there's like people on your hall that are like doing stuff, and you're like, that looks kind of fun too. Um, That's enticing. Uh, maybe I'll do some of that as well and figure it out like junior year when it all comes crashing down and then you <laughs> come back. Um, some of you are here because you're lonely and uh, coming to college can do that. And you're like, I wanted some friends, but I didn't want like this many friends. Um, <laughs> some of you are here because God has worked in your life, maybe, maybe over the summer and uh, you want to keep following his lead. Um, some of you are here and you're pissed off, like you're just angry at God, you're angry at the church. Um, some of you are here and you're just like straight up confused as to why you came in the first place and now you're in the middle and you'd be awkward to leave. Um, but every single one of you and every single one of us that's here tonight is searching, is on a quest, as it were, uh, searching for meaningful friendships, searching for romance and love, searching for a career, searching for a purpose that will make you feel like you actually deserve to live. And we search in class, we search in art, we search a lot on social media. Um, You search on your hall, we search in our parents, um, we search in our kids. Um, We search at parties, we search at Bible studies, we search at RUF. And uh, to come back to the Taylor Swift thing for a moment, um, so I watched the video, and you probably did too because it's like the most viewed video within like the first day or something like that. And because uh, everyone hates it. And you guys understand that's like the, the marketing for this song, right? Like, oh, I'm so, oh, I hate this. You know? <laughs> like, literally, I think, like, we're supposed to sing it to Taylor saying, look what you made me do. You know, like, look what you made me do. Um, uh, my wife saw a tweet the other day and it was like, 
Wednesday, mock it. Thursday, mock it again. Friday, forget about it. Saturday, scream, sing it in the shower. Um, which is like every Taylor Swift song. But anyway, in the, in the video, you know, she's standing on this pile of all of her previous personas, right, that are all like climbing up and like from the You Belong With Me video and the Shake It Off video and all that. And, and Taylor Swift is like the penultimate example of searching for that thing that is going to be like the aha moment for her, right? And like the, the Taylor Swift of the snake is just going to be the next one on the, on the pile, right? It's like it doesn't feel like she's any closer to figuring out who she is or being comfortable with herself. And my question for you is, um, what if everything that you had been working for and waiting for and searching for, you had already missed it? Like, the one that you've been longing to meet and fall in love with, like that person, um, what if you, like, already missed the chance? Like, you already met them, and that they moved on. Um, I'm about to, like, just ramp up the FOMO to, like, the next degree. Um, what if uh, the one who was going to give you direction and purpose, um, that meeting already happened, and you didn't capitalize on it? Uh, the one who held the key to your future career, what if they already found someone else because you weren't interested at the time? Um, that would be horrifying, right? I think we'd just all be like, um, <laughs> ultimate FOMO. Because everybody, if there's one thing that's true of all of you, it's that everybody in this room is terrified of missing it. Terrified that if you don't show up at the right time, you're going to miss it. And I want you to hold on to that feeling for a second. Because you have to feel that to understand this next part that we're going to talk about as we close. The message that Peter has, I didn't read the whole, the whole sermon um, because I had one I wanted to do. So Peter's going to have to wait. Um, <laughs> but this crowd comes together and Peter preaches a sermon to them. And what he does is he builds a case to all these Jewish people. And he says, look, Jesus is both Lord and Christ. That's the case that he builds. And he, and he finishes in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. What he's saying is the, the word Lord would have been the, the, the word kurios that they associated, the Jewish people associated with the name of God, like the giver of life, the one at the top. He's saying Jesus is equal with him and also Christ. That's the one that they were waiting for to come, the one that was going to redeem Israel, the one that was going to take, take away their sins. And basically what he was saying is that thing, that person you've been longing for and waiting for for thousands of years, you literally missed him. He was here. You had no idea it was him, and you were so perplexed by heaven bursting in that all you could think to do was kill him. That's how much you missed it. You, God's special people had missed the one they longed for. And the way that they respond, Luke says, is they were cut to the heart. And Jesus says, look, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's going to convict the world of sin. Um, but what could be worse than to have rejected God himself come in the flesh, the only rescuer for your sins, um, and they simply re- reply, they say, what brothers, like, what, what do we do? Like, we're legitimately lost. What do we do? And what Peter says to them is the most beautiful thing that you're going to hear all night. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you And for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself.
Peter says, you missed it. You screwed up. You killed the one who is both Lord and Christ. And as soon as you recognize you missed it, you're invited in. To simply turn to Jesus and there are promises for you. There is immediate forgiveness and mercy for you. Immediately. It's here now. You don't even have to go anywhere. Just take it right now. Be baptized. Repent. And 3,000 people are saved right then. And to steal a line from a good friend, he said, embracing that you missed it uh, is the door you have to go through to get to the gospel. You have to realize that Jesus was standing before you, offering life, and you wanted anything other than what he was offering to you. And what's on the other side of that door, the door that says, I missed it, is legitimately the best news ever, and that's that God does not hold it against you. He has tied it to his son, and he welcomes you now, and he has promises and goodness and mercy for you. You missed it, but God did not miss you. Um, and uh, this summer, I, I was reading the first Harry Potter book to my kids, which was awesome, and uh, enjoyed it. Uh, you, when you have a six, four, and a two-year-old, you have to stop after the first one because it gets real scary real fast. Um, <laughs> and I, I need my kids to sleep. And uh, but there's this scene in the first Harry Potter book where um, Harry stumbles into a room and there's a mirror, the mirror of Erised. You guys, Harry Potter people, are with me on this. And um, the mirror shows you what is your, like, deepest longing, right? So when Harry's friend Ron Weasley looks in the mirror, he sees that he's, like, head boy. He's won the Quidditch Cup, right? Because he has all these siblings. And he just wanted to be individually recognized and have some individuality amongst his brothers. He's standing there all alone with all these trophies. But when Harry looks in the mirror, do you remember what he saw? His family, that's right. He saw his family, whom he had never known, his mom and dad, aunts, uncles, grandparents, all standing around him and smiling at him. Um, because that's what he longed for, that he missed. And Dumbledore actually says to him that many have wasted away standing in front of this mirror because everything they saw in the mirror eluded them in life. And uh, my question for you tonight is, if you sit in front of that mirror and your deepest longing was was broadcast to you, what would you see? And if it actually reflected your deepest longing, I can, I can tell you what it would show, because it would be the same for every person in this room. It would be you standing in God's presence with God's people, no longer afraid, no longer insecure or hateful or self-seeking, but home with God, experiencing friendship with God. And that is what the Holy Spirit has come to begin in you now. Remember I said that what happened in Acts 2 matters tonight because the Holy Spirit is still doing that work. And one thing I've learned after sitting down with so many of you, like literally hundreds of people, um, and listening to your stories, and that's just that's an honor. Um, one thing I've learned is that no matter how great your life has been or how intact your family is, or how solid your classes are, or whatever internship you have waiting ahead of you, no matter how big your dreams, everyone is still searching, and almost nobody has any idea what they're searching for. Like, they're literally waiting to find something where you're going to go, ah, that was it, that was the thing that I was waiting for. And the reason why we don't know is because we already missed it. And it's because Jesus stood before us and has been standing before us every day of our life saying, come 
and know me and experience that deepest longing of your soul being met in me. And we missed him. We preferred anything else. But the good news is this. If we could speak about God in this way, if he was to stand before that mirror, um, he would see the same thing as you. You you standing with the rest of his people in his presence, enjoying and delighting in him. And the Holy Spirit comes to indwell believers because, number one, God loves to be with you. There is nothing that he would rather have, not even in his own safety, not even in his own life, than to be with you. We know that because of the cross. And he came to indwell his people, secondly, um, so that the good news of his mercy can be put on display on this campus And my question for you is, can you hear it? Can you hear that good news? Are you willing to spend time with someone in a small group here? If you know Jesus, you have the spirit, and this good news is our calling. And my question also is, what do you need to leave behind? Um, Who do you need to be reconciled to? Don't be afraid to tell and show others that you missed it. Um, They might walk through the door with you. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you so much um, for your kindness to us. And um, Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're at work now, uniting us to Jesus, filling us up now, and giving us a message of good news that you are so much more gracious than we are sinful. And that, Lord, we missed you. We, we absolutely had no idea and we preferred anything to you. And yet you have not left us. And yet you invite us back to know you to repent and be baptized and to receive your promises, even promises for our children. And Lord, we're just amazed at that. And Lord, we ask that you would um, sink that into our hearts tonight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.